Uh, can I have another warm welcome to everyone uh, this morning? It's been a wonderful time in God's presence, uh, and we trust God still has uh, quite a bit to give us as we gather together this morning. Uh, for those of us who are visiting or who you're here for the first time or haven't been around for a long time, we've just started a new series where we're looking at uh, God's extravagance in different aspects of our life and we're looking at different, different topics. And so far we've looked at the gospel and I think last week indeed the peace of God. And today I'm going to be talking on prayer and fasting looking at the subject in the context of God's exceeding and lavish generosity and, and grace towards us and amongst us. And we're going to be looking at two passages to start with, uh, just to give a, a, a bit of a background and context. And we're going to look at uh, Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 4. And then we're going to look at Acts of Apostles, chapter 1, verse 14, uh, to start off as, as a context. Uh, and then I'm going to look at, quickly look at those two passages to draw some analogy when we look at the whole concept of prayer and fasting. And then I will be considering what the call of God on each one of us to come into the spiritual disciplines in that understanding, and then secondly, we're going to look at what will be the cost of coming into this spiritual discipline. And if we have time, we might look at an example of one of the prayer disciplines, and we'll be looking at intercessory prayers. Uh, so that's a lot to try and pack together this morning, but I trust the Lord will, will walk us through, and we'll, we'll get to whatever we need to get to. As you will be Appreciate when we talk about the subject of prayers, it's such a massive and quite a very, very complicated and multifaceted topics because there are so many aspects of it that we can look at. But I feel God has put something on my heart this morning that I believe He wants to just focus our mind on that little bit on the issue of prayer and fasting. I'm not, I, I appreciate that there's so much we can cover. But I really sense in my heart this morning that God has given us a focus just to, to look and to explore very briefly as we gather together this morning. And I trust we'll be blessed as we do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege to come. The Bible says, because we know that you answer prayer, that is why we have the confidence to come to you in prayer. And so, Father, we come again this morning. Because we know you are faithful. And Lord, we ask that you will just open our eyes afresh. This is a subject that some of us are very familiar with and some of us are not as familiar with. But wherever we are in our journey with you and in our understanding of prayer and fasting, we ask, Lord, will you just refresh our hearts this morning? Will you grant us a new understanding? Will you motivate us afresh? Will you inspire us afresh? Will you challenge us afresh? But most importantly, Lord, will you encourage us to take a step and continue in this journey and in this walk with you in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if we go to uh, start with Nehemiah chapter 1, 
uh, verse 4. Uh, and this talks about uh, the story of Nehemiah, which most of us will be familiar with. And he was a cupbearer in the king's palace. He was a Jew, but who was displaced and was away from home. But even though he was away from home, his heart was always at home. And there was always carry that burden of Jerusalem and what was happening with God's people, what was happening with his kingdom, and what was happening with his purposes. And he had news as people came to visit, and he was inquiring of them and asking them, what's been happening in Jerusalem? And when they told him what has happened, this was his first response. He said, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days, I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So when he heard the news of what was happening to Jerusalem, God's people, to the walls of Jerusalem, to the temple, and to what was going on with regards to God's people, he was very, very upset. He was very saddened by the state of stuff. And because of that, we see this lovely expression there where the Bible says, he sat down. And he wept. And not just a brief, momentary, sort of tearful moment. But the Bible says it went on for days. It went on for days. There was something about the continuity of that draw on his heart. It wasn't just a momentary, fleeting thought, and it was gone. He, he persevered and persisted in that, and continued in that for such a time. And not just weeping and, and praying and speaking to God, but he also fasted as well. So he fasted and he prayed before the God of heaven. So he fasted and he prayed before the God of heaven. And the things that first strike me as we look at this passage here was it gives us a, a, a type of a time of prayer and fasting which has to do with the individual, which has to do with the response of the heart of the individual when it comes to the relationship with God or to the situation of their lives or to the challenges they're facing. So he did not go to seek anybody else. He did not go to talk to anybody. This was an interaction between himself and the God of heaven. So this was based on his relationship, on his understanding and on his work with the heavenly God. Because even though he wasn't physically in Jerusalem, he had enough understanding and revelation of the God of Israel, that irrespective of where he found himself, he could still interact with the God of Israel. And he knew that he could still raise his voice. He knew that he could still engage with him in prayer and in fasting. And that's an aspect when we look at prayer and fasting that is important to be aware of. That sometimes the call and the draw is on us as individuals. That sometimes we need to make time in our own lives. Sometimes we need to respond when we're challenged by situations and circumstances to bring those things before the Lord and to start with the Lord. Not to start with other people, not to start with other circumstances, not to seek out the elders or to seek out your friends or to seek out your pastor or to seek out whatever it is you want to say. But it comes to just taking them to the Lord himself. It was the beginning. The Bible says when he heard, the first response was to seek God himself. And in order to be able to engage in that, 
He committed himself to a time of prayer and a time of fasting. A time of humbling his soul before the Lord. A time of saying, I recognize that you are God. I'm human. You are greater and you are stronger and you are more than able to do the situation. So I come to you first and foremost. And we know that was not the only thing he did. And you understand, I'm not saying that's the only thing you do. But that was the first thing he did. He recognized that the first thing is to go to God. Have that engagement and that communication with God. And out of the place of that interaction with God came a vision, a plan, and a desire to move out and to do something about it. And for lack, because of time, and because that's not really the focus this morning. Nehemiah went ahead after that, went before the king, asked for permission, moved actually back and engaged with the work. So, it caught something in his heart as he wrestled with God in that situation. He downloaded something of the mandate of heaven into his own spirit man. And he went in the strength and in the understanding of that and he accomplished almost an impossible task for God. And he did it in an amazing time as well. And if you go back, I encourage you to go back and look at the book of Nehemiah. It's a fantastic book. Because you see what God can achieve with a man whose heart is centered on him and whose heart is completely devoted and focused on God. And God can accomplish with one individual an amazing fate. He didn't do it alone, but he was the initiator. He drove that vision and then he gathered the people of God around him, sold that vision to them, and then together collectively they achieved very, something very fantastic. But when we look at the emphasis on prayer and fasting, I want us to take note of the fact that it wasn't momentary, it wasn't fleeting. There was a persistence and a pressing on into it. Days, a matter of committed time and season before he began to see the manifestation of what he was waiting on God for. So it's not always quick and easy. Sometimes it takes a bit of persistence and it takes a bit of pressing on and pushing in until we see God bring us into what he has for us. So that's the first important thing I want us to take note as we look at the subject of prayer and as with fasting. You know, the prayer the name I have prayed in that passage is a very beautiful prayer and I will encourage you to go back and read it later. And that prayer was directed to the God of heaven. And he referenced himself as the servant of God and as the people of God. So in coming to God in prayers, he had a very good understanding that he had a relationship and a covenant relationship with God as a servant and as his people. And then he called God to remembrance his promises for his people. And he says, remember what you said to your servant, Moses. The promise of God, in entreating God to say, when we come back to you in repentance and come back to you, you will restore us back and you will rebuild this wall and you will bring your glory back upon Jerusalem. And those were the, the foundation 
of that interaction and that communication with God. And that's an important principle when we look at the subject of prayer and fasting. And it's a beautiful passage. So please, I encourage you to go back and look at that. It's a really, that verse 8 to 9 gives us a really good image of what intercession is all about. And then secondly, we look at Acts chapter 1, verse 14. And quickly, that switches into a slightly different perception of prayer and fasting. This was shortly after Jesus had been taken up. And the disciples were gathered together, awaiting the promise of the Holy Spirit that Jesus has promised to give unto them. And it says in Acts 1.14, it says, They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And there are some key phrases and words in that passage that I think it's important, because it shows us another aspect of that discipline of prayer. It says they joined together. So in this case, they were not praying on their own. This was not an individual pursuit. This was not me going into your closet, speaking to your father who is in secret, will hear the hearts and then it will do what you want. No, no, no. This was a recognition that they needed to link in together with God's people and they needed to carry each other along in the concept of prayer. So they joined together. There was a joint understanding that the call of God and the demands of God and the times and the seasons in which they lived in will be impossible to achieve individually and in their own strength. They recognized the power of that unity of connecting with God's people and tapping into the grace that comes into the community of God's people when they lay hold of God together. Jesus says, one will chase a thousand. And two will chase 10,000. Now, that doesn't work in our simple mathematics, isn't it? Because if one chases 1,000, two should chase 2,000. And I, and I remember mentioning this once to John. He's not here today, but I think it's almost right. And I was saying, that is not an arithmetic progression. That is almost like a geometrical progression. That is a multiplying effect, so that what one person can achieve as one, the Bible says two can achieve ten. That is an amazing multiplication. That means the sum of the parts, I mean, sorry, when, when you have the two together, it's more than what they can do individually. So there is a grace that comes when we engage in corporate activities that is beyond the individual graces on each of our lives. And that's important to tap into it. Because the reason why they gather together, because otherwise there would be no point in gathering together if it was just exactly the same thing. It was not just that if there are 50 people in this room, then it might just be 50 individuals. No, it's not 50 individuals. There is a multiplying effect. You're tapping into graces on each of those people's lives that sometimes is beyond your own individual ability, but you get swept and carried along in the course of that grace and that anointing, and it takes you in that corporate sense and together. And when the Holy Spirit came and fell upon them, and they all received it together in the community of believers, what that does is that the, the impression and the understanding of what God has done is delivered and downloaded as a community. I don't need to convince you. You don't need to convince me because we received it together. There was such an impartation together. There is an experiencing of it together. There is something of the unity that we had in that moment that we all had an experience of God that we could share with one another. And that sometimes 
catapult you and take you beyond what you can do individually on your own. How many times, I don't know about you, you've come into a prayer meeting, and you're coming from a very dry and desperate place, and you almost wish you were not there, but sometimes even out of duty, you just come. I'm an elder, I cannot but show up, isn't it? <laughs> so I've got to be there. And you're sitting down there, dry as a bone, and you, you might as well be. But suddenly, just in the middle of that, by the time you're leaving, you're just completely refreshed. You're completely, you know, that had nothing to do with you. You've just sold on the strength and on the might of your brethren. They've just carried you along. And by the end of that meeting, you are exactly where they are. Not in your own strength. You've just tapped along. You've just aligned the sail of the wind. I mean, the sail of your boat to catch the wind of the spirit that the brethren were generating. And you get the same flight as them. And you land in the same place. And you go away from that meeting and you're like, that was amazing. We had nothing to do with you, really. You were just tapping into the grace that was released at that point in time. But that's okay. Because the Bible says, let those who are strong bear those who are weak. Because sometimes you will not always be strong. Sometimes you will be weak. And that's okay. What's not okay is to be weak on your own, isolated and ostracized. Because that's not okay. But when you're weak in the community of God's people, there is a carrying and a strength. And I think Ross was giving a testimony to that. How on that hospital bed, he could feel the love of God's people. So even though he was in a place, there was something more than himself that was carrying him and doing it. And that's the striking thing when we look at this passage. It's that understanding that they joined together. They were not just joined together in sporadic attempts. The Bible says, constantly in prayer. You know, that wonderful old King James phrase, as they were together in one accord. And they were constantly in prayer. Can you see the same from Nehemiah again? It's not a splitting, momentary, sporadic activity. There is a consistency. There is a, a pattern. There is a giving to it that needs to happen in order to make prayer effective and to deliver what God has promised. So they were not just together. There was the unity of the Spirit, but they also did it constantly. It's important to keep the consistency of getting together with God's people in prayer. And the Bible says they met in each other's homes. Every time they came together, what was going on? They were in prayer. Every contact, every activity was always mediated through the medium of prayers. And so when we gather together and when we meet together, it's not the story of our fellowship and of our interaction. Are we losing out on an important benefit to take advantage of our gathering together and give ourselves to a season of prayers there? Because that's delivering for each one of us something that we cannot deliver for ourselves individually. And so we tap into that. And that's really, really important. The prayed and made supplication. All God's people are praying people. And they must give themselves to prayer. It's just what it is. All of God's people are praying people. And we must give ourselves to prayer. And the only way to develop and grow in prayer is to pray. 
That's the only way. You can read so much about prayer. You can listen to so much tapes about prayer. You can study so much about prayer. But until you actually pray. I learned to develop my prayer life. Hanging around brethren who were very good at praying when I first got saved. Because I didn't really fully understood it. But God brought me in contact with some of those guys who were just amazing in prayers. And I just hung around with them. And the more you hung around them, the more you began to just assimilate it. The more you just, you know, it just permeates. You just, you just draw on it. And then before you knew it, you actually began to pick up some things. And you began to understand. You began to grow that. And you began to develop that. You know, Bible talks about this wonderful young man called Joshua. And it talks about when Mo- the presence of God and everybody was there. And Moses had left the presence of God. The Bible says he stayed back behind. And he just marinated himself in the presence of God. And he just downloaded heavenly stuff. And then is it any wonder, yes, down the line, that God raised him up to lead his people? These things are not accidental. We make choices and we make conscious decisions that actually enables us to key into what God has for us. So that's important. So moving on quickly... Why is it important to focus on prayer and fasting, especially in the context of the prayer? Let's look at John chapter 15. Because I want us to look at a passage here. John chapter 15, verse 14 to 16. This morning, the focus on prayer here is to put a bit of that emphasis on the extravagance of God around that. What is so lavish? What is so generous? What is beyond reasonable measure as we defined extravagance the last time? What is it that is excessive about this discipline of prayers? What is it that, wh- wh- why does that actually arise? Why would you put extravagance and prayer together? What, what connects the two together? What's the call? What's the connection? I believe it's in We can see something in this passage. Jesus said, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus says, the business of working with me and sharing an intimate relationship with me It's not a business for servants. Because servants don't have that kind of relationship with their masters. It's very task-oriented. But Jesus says, guys, I call you to be my friends. When I do social communication assessments to see if somebody's got any difficulty, one of the questions you normally ask them is, who is a friend? How do you define a friend? Because a friend is not just an acquaintance. It's not the guy who stands on the door and waves to you. No. You discuss, when you call somebody a friend, there is a depth to that relationship and an understanding. That's what separates an acquaintance from a friend. There is a measure of access and intimacy and understanding and connection that makes that person stand out from everybody else. That's what the friendship is about. And Jesus says, I call you to be my friends. Not servants. The servant does not understand what's going on in his master's mind. 
But as my friend, what happens? You have access into my heart. You have an understanding. I give you access to coming. I can share my heart with you. I can share my passions. I can share my desires with you. And you can do the same with me. We can journey together in a pursuit of intimacy. And at the heart of prayer is intimacy with Jesus. It's intimacy with God. It was like that at the beginning. The Bible says in the Garden of Eden, God came down in the cool of the evening and He walked with them. He walked with them. He walked with them. It was a communion. It was a friendship. It was a relationship that God desired. He did not raise servants. And it's not legalistic. It's not, it's not ticking the boxes. It's not about, have you done it today? How many have you done today? It's not the mechanics of it. At the heart of prayer is God wants to draw you into an intimate relationship with himself. He wants to reveal his heart. Jesus says, all that I have, I want to give to you. I want to show to you. I want to reveal to you. I want you to partner with me in building my kingdom. I call you as a friend, not as a servant, not as a master. I call you as a friend. So that when you think of prayers, do you think of prayer and the concept of friendship and intimacy with Jesus? Or do we see it as a task that we have to do in order to earn our Christian points? We miss something of the heart of what Jesus is trying to draw us into. So he says, you are my friends. Everything I have learned from my Father, I want to make known to you. So when we engage in the activities of prayer and fasting, brothers and sisters... Is so that it can deepen our understanding of the heart of Jesus and be able to understand its purposes and its call upon our lives. That's the pursuit of it. That should be the heart of it. That's the extravagance of it. That the God of the universe who so lavishly and has everything. You imagine meeting your greatest idol. And then he comes to you and says, you know what? I want to hang out with you for the whole day. How will that make you feel? Your greatest idol. The one you, where you get so tongue-tied, you can't even open your mouth. And he says, you're not just going to see me and wave to me from the stage there. You know, come on. Let's say it's a musician. Come to the backstage. I'll show you around. Meet the band. Look at this. After that, we go and hang out together in the after gigs party. And you, and you, and you get all of this opportunity of intimacy. You know, and, you're, and by the time you're going on, where would you be? You'll be on cloud nine. You'll be like, that was amazing. That's what Jesus offers us. It's not a mechanics of sitting down and just ticking boxes. No. He wants to bring you in. Bring you into the backstage. Show you the mechanics of how it's done. He wants to engage your heart, engage your mind. He wants to blow your mind. He wants to reveal things that you cannot comprehend in yourself. He wants to show you glorious things. He wants you to see that he's got glorious things in heavenly places he that he has from the foundation of the world he's made you a workman that needs not be ashamed he's made you to live a life of the fullness of all that he has for you but he reveals that as you engage with him in the place of prayer and as you engage with him in the place of fasting it begins to reveal his heart it begins to reveal the intimacy of his heart to you and that develops you that grows you and that brings you into ultimately what he wants for you
Do we remember that song? What a friend we have in Jesus. Can we see the wordings of that song? That writer gets it. It's talking about prayer. But how does he introduce it? Friendship. What a friend we have in Jesus. Do you ever get tired of spending time with your friend? Do you ever get tired of spending time with a very good friend? No. You love to spend time with them. You look into their eyes. You watch two people in love and you can see it. They just besotted with one another. They could spend every minute with one another. They just caught up in the rapture of that love and that relationship. It says, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. It's a privilege to carry. Nehemiah understood that. That which broke his heart, that which crippled him, that which put him in such a despondent state... He knew to bring it to God in prayers. And out of that place of prayer came a revelation of what could be done that set him on a different trajectory for the course of his life. And that changed and transformed him completely. Jesus said to Mary, Mary has chosen that better part. It will not be taken from her. The joy of sitting at his feet, beholding his face, and just spending time with the King of Kings. He says, Mary knows that. She wants it. I'm not going to take it away from her. She's made that choice. Get it. It's yours. What was Daniel's sins? He could not but spend time in prayers with his God. We think, oh, that's just a monotonous mechanical sin. No, if it was a monotonous mechanical sin, when he realized, if I do this, I'm going to die, he would just quit it for that day and move on to something else. No, he, this, was, this was, the, it was the joy and it was the wholesomeness of his heart. That was what his whole heart was about. That friendship and intimacy with God was just so much more that even death could not rob him of that experience in God. Next stanza. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Next. Have we trials? Have we temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Why? Because we can take it to the Lord in prayers. Thanks, the last one. Can we find a friend so faithful? This is prayer. Can you find a friend so faithful? Sometimes when you're in that place, you just want to pick up the phone and ring your friend. But it says that your very, very good friend is not as faithful as your friend Jesus. When that revelation grabs your heart, the discipline of prayer and fasting will come into a different dimension in your life. Can you find a friend so faithful? If you've ever had faithful friends, then you will have at least a measure of understanding what that verse means. If you've ever enjoyed the faithfulness of a friend in your life, if you've ever seen a friend come through for you in a very difficult and challenging situation, then at least you can grasp something of what that line is saying to us. Can we find a friend so faithful? Who will all our sorrows share? Not some. Not when it pleases him. Not when it suits him. All our sorrows share. Jesus knows our every weakness. And yet he says, take it to the Lord in your prayer. What a friend 
What a friend. Can we find a friend so faithful? You know, I could sit on this for hours. As I was preparing this, you, you, you can't imagine the, the excitement in my heart when I caught a fresh revelation of this truth. This is the truth I've always known. But, you know, but sometimes you drift away even from what you know. And as I prepared for this, I had to cry to God in my heart and say, Lord, can I find a friend so faithful? A friend so faithful. Lord, forgive me for when I've come thinking it's just a chore. It's another thing I have to do. So that if they ask me, I can say, yes, I've prayed. No, that's not what it's about. It is an awesome and wonderful opportunity and relationship in God. What is the cost as we round up? What is the cost? I believe the two, one of the two biggest costs for us when it comes to prayer and fasting is the issue of time and the issue of control. Time and control. Time you, you all get that. You've got to make quality time in order to be able to engage in prayers. But let's look at control for a quick moment. Control, which is that ability to take charge of everything and to feel that you are doing everything you want to do. To relinquish control and say, God, you have your way. You do with this situation as it pleases you. Is one of the biggest challenges for you and I. We like to be in control. We like to be able to do things we understand. We just don't want to relinquish control. We don't want to submit to the authority and the lordship of Christ over our lives. But that's because we do not understand that he calls us as friends. Because if it is a call by a friend, it's not as terrifying as if you were calling and giving control to somebody that you are not sure what they're going to do with it. Are they going to have my interest at heart? Are they going to do what's best for me? But when you're releasing it to a friend that you can trust with your whole life, that's a different presupposition, isn't it? It's different. And so when we release control to him, it's because we know he is a friend. A friend so faithful who will all our sorrows bear. Jesus knows my every weakness. And that's why I can just lay it bare before. I don't need to pretend. I don't need to be who I'm not. I can just lay it bare before him. I can say, Jesus, come help me. Walk with me. Take me there. Do what I cannot do in myself. Bring me into your purposes, into your counsel. Transform me. Take me to a different place. And the extravagance of all of this is a good example is Zacchaeus. The pursuit of Zacchaeus. All that he put together just to see Jesus. The indignity of a grown man climbing on the top of a tree just because he wanted to catch sight of Jesus. But when Jesus got under that tree, he saw the preparation and the, and the lavishness. He gave up his time. He gave up control because what he wanted, an intimate relationship with Jesus. What did he get? Jesus said, Zacchaeus, today I'm coming into your house. An intimate moment with Jesus. Imagine that. 
Jesus that everybody wanted to see. People were looking for his time. And Jesus said, no, no, you calm down. I'm going to spend time in your house. And what was the outcome of that time with Zacchaeus? His life was transformed. Repentance. The power of greed was broken. The hold of that economic ties was broken and destroyed. The generosity that sprang out of his heart, the transformation that came out of his life. Why? Because he engaged in an intimate moment with Jesus. He just blew his life out of the waters. He just came into a place that he could never have come into himself. The traitor of his people became the benefactor and the giver of gifts and just poured his resources and said, Lord, I just want to live a different life. Take my life, Lord. Let it be. Consecrate a lot to you. Take my moments. Take my days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. That's when the hold of God grabs hold of your life. It just takes you into a different place. It takes you beyond yourself, beyond what you could ever have imagined could ever happen. We're only just beginning to scratch the subject. We've not even gone into the mechanics of how we work all of this out. But this morning I just felt the Lord just wanted to paint you a big picture. This morning I didn't feel it was about the mechanics of prayer and fasting, no. But it was just a reminder of what this is about. What He's calling you to. What this invitation is about. When you receive that invitation, then you will come into an experiential knowledge and practice of what it's about. And God willing, we'll have another opportunity to look at those mechanics another time. But suffice for this morning is I just really pray that I've been able to just show you just a little of the magnificence of this great and wonderful God. Just the splendor of the majesty that He lays before you. The banquet that he invites you into and the splendor of what that brings you into is beyond what eyes can see, what ears have heard, what can even enter your mind even in the place of prayer. The Bible says this is the thing that God has prepared for his people and the thing that he's inviting us into as he calls us into the discipline of prayer and fasting. Let us pray. I went to church three days a week as a child, unfailingly, because my mom will never take no for an answer. And every once a month, I was in an all-night meeting from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. And you had no choice, you had to go. And yet in all of that time, I never knew Jesus as my friend. And then one glorious day, as a 16-year-old, I caught hold of that truth. This is not about task. This is not about religious activity. This is not about marking time. This is an invite into a relationship with Jesus. What a friend I have in Jesus. So I'm no longer having to do this for my mom or because I'm being compelled. I'm doing it because I'm pursuing intimacy with the one who calls me his home. But the one who's loved me with an everlasting love and laid his life for me on the cross. That's where it starts. Are you here this morning and you've never given your heart to Jesus? That's where it needs to start. 
the first response is to invite Jesus into your heart, into your life. It's to realize that he offers you friendship. I lost my father when I was three. Raised up by a single mom. One of the biggest struggles of my life was coming to terms with that not having a father. Not having the love, the care, the support, and the comfort of a father. And then I realized God wants to be my father. My heavenly father. He's better than any earthly father that you could ever have. He can be to me what tens, thousands of earthly fathers could never be. And when I laid hold of that truth, I said, Jesus, come into my life. That's all I've ever wanted. That's been the cry of my life. This grumpy teenager fighting against the whole world and feeling everything is done against him. All I wanted was just to have a father. Have a father's love. And then I realized I've been going to church 15 years of my life. And that's just been walking right in front of me. And that day I said, Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my savior. But most importantly, be my father. And says, I'm not just your father. I am your friend. And I'm calling you into an intimate relationship with me. If that's you this morning, I don't care how long you've been in church. But do you know Jesus as a friend? Do you know his father's heart? Do you know the love of Jesus as a faithful friend? If you don't, I would love to pray with you this morning. I would love to encourage you to make that step. It will bring you into an adventure that will blow your mind. You will come into a place that you never thought was humanly possible. Because the maker of heaven and earth focuses on you as his child in an intimate Personal relationship with you. Let's pray. If that's you and you want to come out this morning, can I just encourage you? Just step out. Don't sit on your seat. I want you to just get up from where you are and come forward. Band, can we please come back? For the rest of us, I just want you to just respond to God in your heart this morning. I don't know how this word is, how it has hit you or how it's come to you. But I just want to give you just We've, we've overrun time. I'm just going to give you just two minutes to just speak to God in your heart as we close. But if that's you, I'm going to be out here at the end of the service. Please, 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 don't leave this meeting this morning without making that decision.